Marcus now, 13, 12, 69. Welcome to the program. Great to have your company. 131269 is my telephone number as we get into a brand new week around Australia here on the Super Radio Network. All the news and your views on this Monday, February the 8th, 2021. How about you give us a call? Let us know what's on your mind. 131269 is the telephone number. That's 131269. If you want to send us an email, you can do that. MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. Maybe you'd like to send uh, me a text. The text line is open. 0458 049 209. 0458 049 209. All the news and your views. It's Australia's only independence talk radio program. Marcus Paul in the morning. G'day. It's just gone eight minutes after five. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind this morning. Well, unfortunately, we start the uh, the show with some some awful news. A major police search will resume this morning, just after seven o'clock, after a number of the public reported seeing a baby in the water off Yarra Point near La Perouse in Sydney South. Police were called to Phillip Bay at around five o'clock yesterday afternoon after reports of a suspicious item in the water which was believed to be a baby triggering a massive land and air search. Search helicopters, water police, police divers and ambos all attended the scene with attention focused on the rocky outcrop between Frenchman's Beach and Yarra Bay. Now they didn't find anything late yesterday afternoon 
and they'd all left by a quarter to uh, quarter to eight, as it became too dark to continue the search. But Eastern Beaches Chief Inspector Tracy Ford said police were called to the scene after a family walking along the point reported the sighting. Boy, oh boy, could you imagine being the family? Awful story. A coordinated land search was undertaken until light failed for the day and the search will resume this morning at just after 7 o'clock. I don't know. Just an awful, awful story. Maybe, and just hopefully, this family, these witnesses, missaw what they thought was the baby in the water. We can only hope. Okay, uh, New South Wales Health have issued an alert after a Wollongong resident tested positive for the coronavirus two days after leaving hotel quarantine. The returned overseas traveller who did not have any symptoms tested positive on day 16 after two weeks of quarantine. Now, the person visited a number of venues in the Gong, that's Wollongong, as well as the Mooch and Me Cafe in Brighton La Sands in Sydney's south, before they were notified of the positive result. Now, the person visited a number of venues in Wollongong too. Now, this person is not considered to be very infectious and their household contacts have returned negative results. So that is a positive sign. The person's close contacts have been identified and directed to self-isolate. The infection is believed to have been acquired overseas. It was detected under the recently bolstered day 16 follow-up testing for people who have been in hotel quarantine. So there we go. That was a good move by New South Wales Health. Uh, They've issued warnings for a range of venues that the person visited in Wollongong and southeastern Sydney after leaving quarantine and before returning the positive test result. Anyone who attended a number of venues has been instructed to get tested immediately and self-isolate until receiving further advice from New South Wales Health. Uh, Look, there are plenty of them here. The ones in the Illawarra, the Headlands Hotel at Austin Mere, Woolai Beach Cafe... And then up into Sydney South, the Mooch and Me, Brighton La Sands, Optus in North Wollongong, Office Works in Ferry Meadow. This person gets around. Woolworths in Bulli, Coromel Memorial Park in Coromel, the Rural Beach Sublime Points Walking Track, Fig Tree Cove Shopping Centre, and Fedora Pasta Factory in Ferry Meadow. Uh, Look, we put a list up of the exact times and dates that this person with COVID-19 visited all of those venues. If you want to get the exact time and dates, there's too many to mention here this morning, but they're all up on our page. Go to 2smsupernetwork.com and follow hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning on uh, social media on our Facebook page there. It's a concern, it really is, but let's hope that this person uh, is as less infectious as what Health New South Wales is saying he is. And you've got to remember as well that his closest contacts have all tested negative, which is good news. All right, and just on that too, I mean, we'd gone how long now? We'd gone some two weeks, hadn't we? Yeah, 14 day, uh, well, something like that. Three weeks, I beg your pardon, I got that wrong. 
So we've gone three weeks of no new local coronavirus cases. As of yesterday morning, New South Wales have recorded three weeks of no new local coronavirus cases. So we're doing okay. We really are. Give us a call. Let me know what's on your mind. Look, a number of Sydney venues have been fined over COVID-19 breaches. That's why it's important to follow the rules. They're in place to keep us nice and safe and healthy. Uh, Nine venues. Nine. Wow. I saw there was more talk over the weekend as to whether or not this year, 2021, will be an election year. And what will be the issues that maybe will take us there? Well, who knows? Yeah, I read that in the Herald over the weekend. I'll talk a little, a bit more about it this morning. But do you think this year will be an election year? Personally, I think maybe Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, might make a decision in the coming weeks. I really do. I mean, there's a bit of a gap. There's a bit of a gap later this year. Um, a bit of a, a lengthy gap, if you like, of parliamentary sittings, which may provide a window for ScoMo to go, yep, let's go to the polls. I guess you'll wait and see as well to see what opinion polls are saying by mid-year. If you want to talk about that, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Paul Bongiorno, X 10 journo has written a really good piece on this which I'll get to a little later this morning as well. Try as he might, says Paul, Scott Morrison can't help letting slip his early election ambitions. His most telling giveaway was in his first pep talk of the year to the Coalition Party Room in the Great Hall at Parliament House, but the PM merely confirmed the buzz of expectation that was already spreading throughout the corridors of power, and that is that this year, 2021, could be an election year. Alrighty, um, a little later on, I'm going to play this in full. More brilliant work uh, by young Jordan Shanks and his team at Friendly Geordies. Helen Dalton has also assisted in this brilliant work, along with Marianne Slattery, who's a, a journalist of independent nature. We're talking about, unfortunately, missing water. From the Murray Darling. I mean, it would be one thing if the Australian government paid 57 times the price they should have with your money going to a Cayman Island company set up by another politician and at least we got the water. (laughs) Problem is, we didn't. It's a wonderful video. It draws on research from Mary Ann Slattery to solve the mystery of two trillion missing litres of water in the Murray Darling Basin. And hopefully this will get shared and viewed widely and help people understand the complexity of water theft that's going on in the state of New South Wales and in Victoria over the Murray-Darling Basin. Unfortunately, it's been the case since politicians allowed water to be commoditised. And that's the problem. Anyway, we'll play that later on this morning. It's a brilliant piece. It's up on our socials already. Hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. 
And I'm, I'm sorry, Barnaby Joyce comes out of this stinking like yesterday's rotten fish heads. He really does. Unbelievable. 13, 12, 69 to have you say. Uh, we'll take a break when we come back. Uh, hopefully you'll be on the line. Have a chat. 13 12 69 2SM supernetwork.com for your emails and the text 0458 049 209. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. The NRL's chief gender advisor has called for cultural understanding and not a suspension for young Brisbane Broncos test prop pain house. Why are you looking at me like that? Because you're a woman, you think I won't touch you. To a female police officer. The bloke is a grub. Catherine, I'm sorry. What if it was you that all of these these awful comments were directed at? They may respond different to police authority than someone from an Anglo background. What a load of tripe. Stop making excuses for these scrubs and rub this bloke out of the game. Marcus, Paul in the morning. I didn't have a mobile phone at school. I'm a dinosaur. We didn't bother with any of that technology. We didn't. It wasn't available. We did silly things like talk to each other around recess and throw the football around. We'll try and chat up girls. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus, Paul in the morning. Okay, 22 minutes after 5, give me a call, 13 12 69 on the program after 7 o'clock this morning. Well, today is, I guess, D-Day. Well, no, maybe not. He's probably not viewing it that way. Deputy Premier John Barillaro will appear before the so-called pork barrelling grants inquiry. A lot of pork barrelling been going on uh, from Braz and his mates in the LNP New South Wales Coalition Government. Anyway, uh, we'll talk to David Shoebridge, Greens MP in Sydney, about this after 7 o'clock this morning. David will also mention the Independent Commission Against Corruption report that he delivered on Friday, calling for proper and transparent funding for ICAC and other state watchdogs. So that's on the way this morning after 7 o'clock. Uh, our first major interview for the week with David Shoebridge. Uh, Nikki drops by today as well. Being a Monday, socially speaking, that's on the way uh, with Nicole, thanks to Local Edge Marketing in Penrith. How about you give us a call on this Monday morning as we get this little toe tapper on to get things underway? At 23 minutes after five, Marcus Paul in the morning. Hello there. It's a Monday morning, and Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69 is my telephone number. Got a couple of calls, Frank and Michael, just hang on with us. Uh, we'll go to you after the news, I don't want to rush you through your calls. Um, email, it's got a really good one from Paul Thomas over the weekend. Marcus, you are crap. Okay. Anyway, we'll uh, relive Paul's magnificent uh, email from the weekend, which we put on our Facebook post, and it got shared a couple of hundred times, and... Ah, uh, Paul, why... Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. Who are the biggest donors or bribers of our politicians, Michael? Well, Clive Palmer, as you know, he gave himself that ten million dollars. He gave his own party. So he is the biggest, <laughs> and it was to himself. Now, how this can be regarded as a tax-deductible donation <laughs> is anybody's guess. But Only in Australia. Marcus Paul in the morning. 
All right, welcome back to the program. It is a Monday. Great to have you company on this February the 8th, 2021. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. 13, 12, 69. Hello, Frank. Uh, hello, Marcus. Uh, Good morning. How you going, mate? Uh, All right, thanks. Look, before we get into the serious stuff, mate, uh, can you do something about the opening theme music, please? What would you like me to do about it? Oh, I don't know anything, mate. Ring around the rosy would be better. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, no, we like it. It's ours. We're keeping it. It annoys you. That's good. It means you're oh. reacting to it. <laughs> what about the theme from Days of Our Lives? Oh, has please. Hey? Has the producer got that there? Just run, run a few bars or something, you know? Or uh, what, about, what about something from The Shadows, Mark? How about something from The Shadows? Who are they? Who are they, and, oh, and, what, and what exactly are, are they? Bom Bombaro, all those great surfing instrumentals, mate. They're brilliant. What are you talking about? I play about? a brilliant instrumental to start the program each and every morning. You love it. You know you love it. Oh, look, I'm going to ask you about Albo now. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to ask you about it. Look, I, I missed that. When I spoke to you, Albo was coming on because we don't get you right up here in yep. Hunter. Yep. Uh, I missed that. Look, what what. what came out of there. What, what did he have to say about in that interview that you did with him? Well, I pushed him and I pushed him on policy. Um, he, yep. he quite clearly told me that even though he loves coming on this program, he wasn't going to let the cat out of the bag yet. And look, I understand that. You've got to remember um, if it is an election year then probably Albo will need to hold his his cards close to his chest because that's what led to, unfortunately, I think the uh, unlosable election being done for Bill Shorten. He went too early with announcing policies and the and the governments, uh, you know, to their credit, did what they do and they ran a, a scare campaign on a whole range of issues and that's, you know, that's politics. So, he, look, he's going to make some announcements this week. He's in Queensland at the moment, his elbow. So we're going to get to some industrial relations policies and a whole range of uh, policy framework this week, apparently, which would be good, Frank. Yeah, well, look, there's, there is some on the table already. And in particular, look, I've looked at both parties' policies on uh, the action on climate change. Yeah. And, you know, without any bias and, you know, uh, and objectively speaking, um, you know, I believe that they've got a better policy on climate change and renewable energy. Uh, and, who, who, uh, who has? Labor? Well, I, think, like, I think Labor has, yeah. All right, yep. And, uh, and look, and the Greens, well, you know, they, they shoot themselves in the foot because they, they, they want to stop all fossil fuel production overnight straight away. Which, well, we know that's which, not going to work. It, it can't, can't. It's just not possible. You know, yep. where's the power going to come? We haven't got the infrastructure yet for the other stuff. And, and you know, there's going to be a transition, as you know. But, yeah. look, but, you know, as I said before, mate, you know, we are blessed with solar power in this country. And, you know, in one day, what... What beams down from the sun is enough to supply the world for a week. So, we, you know, renewables will do it for us and, and there'll be other technology that comes along. And one, one other thing I wanted to say to you uh, was the, uh, uh, the hotel quarantine. And, you know, should, should it be taken over by the feds and have one good, solid um, policy on infection control? Well, you'd think we should uh, because 
mate, that's the only place where our transmissions are, are coming from, where, where the infections and the spread are, spread are coming from. Well, otherwise, that's right. we're total, otherwise, we're totally COVID-free. So wouldn't you think when a whole economy and a country depends on it, yep. that we would have all our resources focused on, you know, better transition from airport to the quarantine hotels so drivers don't get infected yep. um, you know uh, uh, flight staff and air crew are treated exactly the same way as, as passengers and anyone else because mm. you know they, they can c- uh, contract the virus as well people are clean the hotels <laughs> one one cleaner actually went from work, jumped straight on public transport. Yeah, I know, mate. I know. Look, uh, that's why yeah. we need a federal response to it. The problem is uh, we don't have a we don't have a leader at a federal level at the moment, unfortunately. All right, I'll let you go, Frank. Great first call for the week. Here's your little reward, mate. I know you love it. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. You have a good day, Frankie. That's a shocker. No, we love it. You love it too. Just turn it up nice and loud. It'll wake you up, Frank, okay? Days of our lives on us. <laughs> Days of our lives, you in a minute. All right, Michael, are you there, mate? Sure, Em, and I don't mind the music. First, I've got a little bit hard to get used to, but I don't mind it now. <laughs> At least you know it's me coming on. All right, give That's people it. fair warning. So, what's on your mind, Michael? Well, basically, these people who get in trouble with the police now, basically, if you over-consume alcohol, mm. I've never heard of one case, not one case, where the publican has been held accountable for selling extreme alcohol now. Sure, some people preload, but these people have got more than money than sense. Yeah. Uh, don't preload. So I'm thinking the publican's got to be held accountable. Well, to some degree, absolutely. Uh, we have a responsible service of alcohol code in place in uh, right around the country. Um, it's difficult, uh, particularly at some busy hotels and, and pubs and clubs, etc. But uh, you're right. Um, maybe we should be a little more vigilant on it, but at the end of the day, I think more than anything, uh, Michael, it has to be. There needs to be self-responsibility. I mean, it's not the publicans, you know, it, that's it. It opens up a bit of a slippery slope. I mean, do we, I don't know, do we blame tobacconists for people getting cancer because people are buying their products? Well, no, we don't. I mean, there needs to be self-responsibility. can't be the publican's fault if you've gotten completely pissed and got yourself into a whole range of problems. Uh, Certainly, you can't serve intoxicated people, and there are laws against that. Maybe we need to ensure that there are greater, uh, I guess, greater, there's greater vigilance in place, perhaps, to keep an eye on publicans and hotels and all the rest of it. I mean, most hotels, most pubs do the right thing. They've got stacks of security. Everybody has a responsible service of alcohol, uh, you know, ticket. You'd hope they're doing the right thing there. Peter, are you there? Yeah, MP, I'm back. Morning, Pete. All How right. are you? Good, thank you, buddy. What's on your mind? I was telling Scrap, I was watching 60 Minutes last night. I'm saying to my wife, this is, uh, you've got to get the vaccination, okay, so we can travel around the country and that when they decide to bring it in. Yeah. How's it going to screw over all these anti-vaxxers? Because they won't be allowed to go out of their little um, bubbles if they don't get the jab. 
Oh, well, look, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm not for forcing people to get the vaccine. I prefer if everybody did, but I think we need to have the choice to be able to decide whether we want to or not. The only issue I have is that, you know, if you're going to be uh, travelling with people on aircraft and other things, well, you know, if a, look, at, yep. the, at the end of the day, uh, aircraft, oh, yeah. it's private enterprise and airlines yep. will make people, if you want to travel overseas, get inoculated. I mean, we... we it's, uh, it's a good way to get the whole world to conform, I think. That's what I was thinking, but I'm not a conspiracist. Well, no, I don't think it is. Look... I mean, are we thinking that way with rubella? Are we thinking that way with a, a range of other vaccinations you need to get if you need to go to places like South America and another wonderful destination around the world? You still need to get a jab so that you don't. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. So you don't it's need good, to catch mate. a nasty. Yeah, that's what, that's that's all I thought. You know. I don't know, mate. Yeah. Look at the. You're gonna have to get it. Well, uh, we. St- I mean, here in Australia. We've done extremely well as we start the new year, and credit where it's due, as we start the new year, this country is best equipped to start a new year than basically every other developed nation in the world, bar New Zealand, I guess. I mean, you look what's happening in the United States. Look what's happening, of course, in in areas uh, like the United Kingdom, elsewhere. I mean, they're in all sorts of strife. Dave, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Marcus? All right, Dave. You got a feel-good story for me, have you? Yeah, yeah. Just something to you know, something to uplift everybody at the start of the week, I suppose. Okay, let me know it. Right. About three years ago, one of my neighbours was out mowing his lawn, and uh, my young bloke was in the front yard. I don't know what he was doing. He wasn't working. That's for sure. Yep. And um, yeah, the old man went down like. Uh, went down. My young fellow went over to try and help. Ended up giving him CPR for, I don't know, 30 minutes or something like that, but by the time the paramedics got there, the old fellow had like, passed away. Um, the young bloke suffered a little bit of trauma through that because I, I don't think he's ever seen somebody that close before pass away. Yeah, it would have been and, tough. And um, we found out yesterday that the he, the lady, his wife, actually left my young bloke the 2018 model Commodore. Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah, really good. Really, really... Well, we're, like, we're gobsmacked. We couldn't believe that somebody would be that generous, you know? Well, and, uh, to be honest, she probably saw uh, that the you know your young fella had uh, concern for this bloke when he went down. And uh, what did he have a heart attack or something? Did he? Uh, he, he was he was fairly old, and I'm not okay. sure. I think he hit his head. He fell over. Yeah. And I think he hit his head, and my uncle like, like performed CPR or him, which is you know yep. uh, all all credits to the nippers and stuff like that because that's where he learned to. You know, do CPR, yeah. saving, so, mm. you know. What's your young fella's How old is your young fella, Dave? He's 17 now. All right, what's, so, his, what's his name? His name's Xander. Xander. All right, well, look, you know, it's karma. And obviously some good karma has come Xander's way. He, he looked after a neighbour, uh, an elderly gentleman who, uh, unfortunately, uh, had fallen and... 
And uh, he was there in his time of need, even though it was a tragic outcome. And well done to him. And look, you should be proud of him, Dave. Oh, super proud of him, mate. And uh, look, He's a little legend. Yeah, well, the yeah, young fellow will enjoy yeah, the, uh, the comedy. gets a bit of a heartstring pulled on that one. And goes to show that there still is good people in the world. Absolutely. Maybe just have to look next door to find them. Uh, no, well said, mate. Absolutely. There are wonderful people in the world, including not only um, uh, the the lady who lost her husband. Obviously, she'd be grieving. Uh, what's she going to do with his property, including the car? Well, why not give it to the young fella who assisted uh, the man the, in his time the, the of need? The thing is, Dave, that she, she didn't want to give it to him until he could drive. Yeah. She spotted my boy driving my wife's car the other day. Yep. And she came across and spoke to my wife yesterday and said, like, you know, Jimmy wanted to do this. Uh, well, we wanted to do this for Xander. It would have been Jimmy's favourite, like something that Jimmy would have done anyway. So, yeah. And I tell you what, it's a pretty sneak pair of wheels he's got now. Good on him. Well, he deserves it. Yeah. He deserves it. Good well, on him, mate. He was, he was over the moon when he got home from work yesterday and we told him. Oh, he was working yesterday, was he? Yeah, he's a apprentice chef. Well, there you he's go. He's an in-school apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I could rattle off a million things that he does. He works with, with his mother at the days he doesn't work at the restaurant. Yeah. He was school captain. Oh, mate, you he's, must be proud. Yeah, I'm very proud of him, Dave. I mean, Marcus, sorry. All right, mate, no, that's okay. Look, good on you, buddy. Great story, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. Good on you, and well done to Xander, mate. All the best. Thank you. See you, buddy. Bye. Bye. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. Talking. All the news and the views. Listen, you can hear me through the radio. Marcus Ball, weekday mornings from 5am on 2SM. Yeah, isn't that a really good story? I, I like that. Great story. Young fella assisting a neighbour. Gets a car. Great stuff. Marcus Paul in the morning, yeah. 11 to 6. Yeah, I'm up at Brooklyn. Now I'm down in... Alrighty, Marcus Paul in the morning, Jay-Z and Alicia Keys. New York, well, three New South Wales council areas that suffered more than $300 million in economic damage from last year's bushfires did not receive a cent in funding from a state and federal program as the Berejiklian government prepares to defend the scheme by arguing the vast majority of destruction occurred in coalition-held seats. New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barillaro has also confirmed to the Parliament the $177 million bushfire local economic recovery fund was distributed without any application forms in order to, quote, get funding flowing as quickly as possible, unquote. Oh, God. The latest controversy over government grants will put pressure on Mr Barillaro when he faces a parliamentary inquiry today. Well, the lead of that inquiry is David Shoebridge. David is on the program after 7 o'clock this morning. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. The NRL's chief gender advisor has called for cultural understanding and not a suspension for young Brisbane Broncos test prop Payne Haas. Why are you looking at me like that? Because you're a woman, you think I won't touch you. To a female police officer, the bloke is a grub. Catherine, I'm sorry. What if it was you that all of these these awful comments were directed at? They may respond different to police authority. 
than someone from an Anglo background. What a load of tripe. Stop making excuses for these scrubs and rub this bloke out of the game. Marcus Paul in the morning. I didn't have a mobile phone at school. I'm a dinosaur. We didn't bother with any of that technology. We didn't. It wasn't available. We did silly things like talk to each other around recess and throw the football around or try and chat up girls. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, uh, there is a health alert out this morning, a public health alert for Brighton Lasands, Austin Mere, Bulleye, Coralbell, North Wollongong, Fig Tree, Ferry Meadow, Thrall and Madden Plains. All the full details are up on hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning on our social media. Today for Sydney, 20, that's after a uh, case yesterday of COVID-19. Sydney today, tops of 25 degrees, maybe a shower or two most likely near the coast. Good morning to our listeners in the central tablelands, Bathurst and Orange, 2EL Orange, partly cloudy today for you, chance of a shower in the east, tops of 24. And on the beautiful, gorgeous mid-north coast of New South Wales, partly cloudy, maybe a shower or two this morning, maybe okay this afternoon. Don't hold me to it, though, if it's not. 26 degrees will be your top today for around Port Macquarie to Coffs Harbour. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's right on 6 o'clock. New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. $177 million state and federal bushfire relief fund, of which, surprise, surprise, the majority was allocated to coalition-held electorates. Analysis done by an inquiry chair, MP David Shoebridge, has revealed all this new information. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's not about politics for me. It's not Berejiklian or Barilaro's money. We expect our money to be shared equitably across the state of New South Wales. Marcus, in accordance with need, in accordance with where it's most needed. And that's why I pushed to establish this inquiry. You know, it's a committee that I chair. It's called the Public Accountability Committee. How did a, you know, large uh, multinational timber company get 10 million bucks? Bushfire-related funds. We'll be asking this question. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Alrighty, welcome back to the program on this Monday, February 8, 2021. Uh, Hello, if you're just joining us for the first time. It's great to have you company as we get into a brand new week. If you want to give me a call to let me know what's on your mind, maybe you'd like to react to the news of the day, 131269, the telephone number. If you want to send me an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com and texts 0458-049-209. Uh, Maybe you saw this on the news last night. You've caught some detail this morning. Um, But a search will get underway in around about an hour's time for what's believed to be the body of a baby that was seen floating in the waters in Sydney southeast yesterday. A number of witnesses called triple zero in a panic at around five o'clock yesterday afternoon to report the object at Yarra Bay in La Perouse. It's understood the infant was wrapped in a plastic bag. A multi-agency search of the area began last night and will resume grimly this morning. Boy, oh boy. 131269, if you'd like to have your say. 
Students are not being penalised for spelling errors in New South Wales English exams in a practice that experts must say experts say, sorry, must end in order to focus pupils on getting the basics right. Under the current HSE syllabus, the New South Wales Education Standards Authority accepts poor spelling, grammar and punctuation in exams. They claim students are primarily being assessed on their understanding of the books and poems that they've studied. A spokeswoman for the authority said, and I quote, Students are not penalised for errors that may be due to writing under exam conditions. With little time to review or edit their work, the emphasis is always on students showing markers uh, their understanding of text. So, look, I understand, you know, maybe forgiving one or two punctuation errors in constructing sentences if, you know, these kids are under stress, exam stress and all the rest of it, but spelling... Really? Anyway, uh, we're going to speak to the Australian Tutoring Association co-founder, Moen Dahl. He said good spelling is essential to communicating and should make up a small part of the marking criteria on essays, and I agree. So that's on the way after 7 o'clock this morning, if you'd like to have your say on it, 13.12.69. All righty, also on the program just after 7 o'clock, David Shoebridge, MP. Boy, oh boy. On it goes, the pork barrelling and the misappropriation, in my opinion, of taxpayer funds in the state of New South Wales. Three New South Wales council areas that suffered more than $300 million in economic damage from last year's bushfires did not receive any funding from a state and federal program as the Berejiklian government prepares to defend the scheme by arguing the vast majority of destruction occurred in New South Wales coalition-held seats. New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barillaro has also confirmed to the Parliament the $177 million bushfire local economic recovery fund, which has been criticised for favouring coalition electorates, was distributed without any application forms. Why? Well, of course, in order to get the funding flowing as soon as possible. You can't make this stuff up. I'm sorry, you just can't. The latest controversy over uh, over government grants will put pressure on the Deputy Premier, John Barillaro, who is responsible for bushfire recovery. He'll face a parliamentary inquiry today. Now, heading that inquiry is David Shoebridge, who'll be on the program in around about an hour's time. Mr Barillaro agreed to appear before the grants inquiry when it was investigating the Stronger Communities Program but it has since been expanded to include the bushfire fund. So not only are they going to be looking at the issue of the bushfire grants going to, well, not going, if you like, to places like the Blue Mountains, Labour-held seats, but the previous pork barrelling that we told you about. The one that the Premier just dismissed as being, well, business as normal. You know, operation normal. It's been done before, we'll continue to do it. You just have to suck it up. Anyway, Mr Barillaro agreed to appear before the Grants Inquiry because, of course, the Premier did not. Before his appearance, Mr Barillaro wrote to Greens MP David Shoebridge, who chairs the inquiry, saying he felt a sense of utter disgust in the decision to politicise bushfire funding.
Well, if you're disgusted by that, bros, how do you think the people who live up in the Blue Mountains are feeling? I would argue they're as equally disgusted in the state government in not allowing any funding to flow into that electorate, considering, I don't know, probably two of the biggest fires of the recent firestorm occurred in the Blue Mountains. Mr Barillaro said rural fire service data shows that more than 90% of buildings damaged and destroyed by the fires were in coalition-held seats. Mr Barillaro will be asked about government maps, which show the worst-hit areas in terms of economic impact from the fires were Shoalhaven, Beagle Valley and the Snowy Valley Councils, totalling more than $750 million. All are in coalition-held seats. However, the maps also show other areas suffered extensive damage to property and businesses, including the Central Coast. It suffered $163 million economic impact, but it didn't receive a cent. And yet, in places like Wagga Wagga, good old Daryl Maguire's old seats, of which the Premier knows a lot about, I mean, this seat of Wagga received funding considering there wasn't a bushfire anywhere near the joint. A lot of explaining to do, and I can't wait to hear it. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. All right, it's 16 and a half minutes after six. Today, the Rethink Sugary Drink Alliance is launching a counter-campaign which aims to grab the attention of young males, Australia's largest sugary drink consumers, in order to shine a light on the glorified ways sugary drink companies depict their products and the health harms associated with drinking them. With one in six teenagers downing at least 5.2 kilos of added sugar from sugary drinks alone every year, Rethink Sugary Drink will use the new campaign to urge young people to rethink their sugary drink consumption and go for water instead yes i know right stop looking at me justin i don't drink coffee but i do have a energy drink for breakfast probably not the smartest move on my behalf but i don't drink coffee Hmm? and i also consume a fair bit of water my partner ensures that i do in fact, just the other day, I was over the weekend. Here's a, here's a really good example of me drinking water. We had some, uh, some of this beautiful lemon drink at home. Anyway, I got poured a drink. It was nice. Took a sip and I thought, doesn't taste the same as it always does. She bloody watered it down on me, hadn't she? Yeah, Sister Sledge, we are family. Marcus Paul in the morning. We're a big family here, aren't we, Scruff? 131269 is the telephone number. Justin standing by to take your calls. And uh, look, after 6.30 this morning, we're going to do something a little special. You'll hear more and more of this this year as uh, we continue to fight against the mismanagement of money, uh, the corporatisation of water, 
in New South Wales, in particular from the Murray Darling. Our mate Jordan Shanks put together another piece of brilliant journalism over uh, the last week. And I'll play you back the audio from this short video explaining water corruption here in New South Wales. Well, certainly Australia, because it also includes the Murray-Darling running into Victoria. I mean, it would be one thing if the Australian government paid 57 times the price they should have with your money going to a Cayman Island company set up by another politician. And at least we got the water, but we didn't. This uh, audio that I'll play from this video will explain exactly what went wrong and who was involved. Angus Taylor looking at you. And also... The world's greatest water envoy known to man, old beetroot face himself, Barnaby Joyce. What a waste of space that bloke is. Honestly. He was paid millions of dollars. Well, uh, let me retract that. He received hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars to be water envoy. And uh, how did he correspond his findings and his work to the Australian public? For the honour of being our water envoy? Well, via text message to the Prime Minister, of course. He's taking the piss, absolutely. What a joke. Anyway, some detail on that for you very soon. 13 12 69. Cloudy today for Sydney, tops of 25 degrees, maybe a shower or two. Good morning to our listeners in the Central Coast. Good morning to you in Orange, 2EL. Great to have you on board. Partly cloudy today. Uh, maybe a bit of fog is around as well in the east, they tell us. Mm, slight chance of a shower as well. Tops of 24 degrees for Bathurst and Orange. Uh, hello there on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Good morning to you, Coffs Harbour, Port Macquarie. Areas in between. Great to have your company. Partly cloudy. Possible morning fog around the highlands today. Medium chance of showers and tops of around 26 degrees. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. So you're very glad your own mother didn't have an abortion, of course aren't you? I, well, of course I am. What a stupid question to ask me. What are you trying to say then? Well, I'm saying mean? quite clearly, if you just listen, take your blinkers off for a moment, what I simply said was women do have the right in this country to abort a fetus if that's what they wish to do. Look, I'm sorry, <laughs> you're in the minority, Caroline. Oh, am I? Yes, absolutely you are. I think you are. No, I think you are. The beauty again of living in democracy. I simply don't agree. And because I'm pro choice, if you like, and I believe that women should be able to make their decisions under the, uh, the current laws, does that mean I'm a bad person? And should I be abused like the way that woman rang and abused me? I don't believe so. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. <laughs> Where is the love? Plenty of love on this Monday morning. It's February the 8th, 2021. I'd love to hear from you, 13 12 69. Oh, by the way, these are open now. Too. Get in contact with Marcus anytime. Email us, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. And a couple here. G'day, Marcus. On the topic of the woman in Wollongong showing a positive COVID test result, it appears that the quarantine period of 14 days for some is not enough. 
Why can't it be 21 days like in some other countries? Just to be sure. Have a great week. Regards, Scott. Thank you, mate. Yeah, um, maybe. Look, we've done very well. Let's not panic and rush to change things too quickly because of one case in New South Wales. Uh, the links, by the way, are up for this health alert. Most of it is in the Illawarra region, talking of places like Fig Tree, Austinmere, Thoreau, uh, and of course up into Brighton, the Sands in Sydney's south as well. All the details there of uh, where you, if you've visited a number of places, you may need to check for your symptoms. Uh, now, regarding the opening theme, Sue. G'day, Sue. Morning to you. Sue's a regular correspondent to the program. G'day, Marcus. Your opening tune is great. Get you bopping in the morning. It's yours. You own it. Uh, suck it up, the haters. All right. Thank you, uh, Sue. Look, the problem as well is that we've got so much of our production, so much of the stuff with the program that's got bomb bomb on it. We can't possibly change it now. Surely not. News time, 6.30. Good morning. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. The NRL's chief gender advisor has called for cultural understanding and not a suspension for young Brisbane Broncos test prop Payne Haas. Why are you looking at me like that? Because you're a woman, you think I won't touch you. To a female police officer. The bloke is a grub. Catherine, I'm sorry. What if it was you that all of these these awful comments were directed at? They may respond different to police authority than someone from an Anglo background. What a load of tripe. Stop making excuses for these scrubs and rub this bloke out of the game. Marcus Paul in the morning. I didn't have a mobile phone at school. I'm a dinosaur. We didn't bother with any of that technology. We didn't, it wasn't available. We did silly things like talk to each other around recess and throw the football around. We'll try and chat up girls. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program. It is Monday, February the 8th, 2021. Great to have your company at 21 minutes away from 7 o'clock. Give me a call. 13 12 69 on the program this morning, just after 7 o'clock. David Shoebridge, uh, he'll be talking about, uh, well, the accountability of the New South Wales state government ahead of uh, this, well, another, uh, another round of discussions today <laughs> regarding pork barrelling, uh, the original community, uh, stronger communities funds program that saw well in excess of a couple of hundred million dollars being funnelled ahead of the last state election into LNP seats, and then of course we have the latest, which is the 177 million dollars of taxpayer money for bushfire recovery, mind you, mostly spent in LNP seats again. Surprise, surprise, and unfortunately, a number of areas missed out, including the Blue Mountains. At the expense of places like Wagga Wagga. Why? Wagga continually seems to pop up every day when it comes to government expenditure. Wonder why that could be. Anyway, that's on the way with David Shoebridge. Also after 7 o'clock, we're going to catch up with the Australian Tutoring Association co-founder in relation to this front page story today in The Telegraph, talking about how our kids, while undergoing exams, aren't marked down for spelling errors. Students are not being penalised for spelling errors in HSE 
English exams, a practice that experts say must end if pupils are to get the basics right. I tend to agree with it, to be honest. 131269, if you'd like to have your say on that. Okay, uh, look, in around about 10 minutes' time, a large-scale search will recommence following a report of an object believed to be a baby seen floating in the water in Sydney southeast at La Perouse at Yarra Bay. Now, yesterday at around 5 o'clock, emergency services were called to the area after a number of very distraught witnesses saw what they thought was an infant wrapped up floating in the water. They thought it was a baby wrapped in a plastic bag floating floating in a shallow part of the water. Um, Now, a multi-agency search of the area was initiated, which included assistance from the Police Marine Area Command, Polair, Public Order Riot Squad and several rescue helicopters. But due to poor visibility and no further sightings of the object, the search was suspended around a quarter to eight. It will recommence in around about 15 minutes from now. Look, I'm just hoping, I really am, that perhaps people mistook what they thought was a baby in the water for something else. Maybe that's just wishful thinking, but boy, oh boy. Just on uh, children, and we shared this yesterday when it broke. Uh, Was it yesterday? It might have been. Yes, it was, yesterday morning. A toddler. There was an amber alert for a toddler that had been abducted in Brisbane, in Brisbane southeast, a Dara. So a toddler has been safely returned to his parents after allegedly being kidnapped from his home in Brisbane southwest. The boy was snatched from his cot at the family's Dara home early yesterday. And the, the odd thing about this, apart from obviously being very distressing, was the fact that the, uh, the man who allegedly snatched the one-year-old was wearing a mask. Anyway, a member of the community tipped off police and a 30-year-old man was arrested. And a 31-year-old man who's known to the boy's family has also been charged. So, look, there's probably a lot more to come from this, but yesterday uh, I was very concerned when we shared that Amber Alert. It was a real, real worry. Thank goodness this young child, little blonde boy, has been found safe and well and returned to his family. Give me a call, 13 12 69, if you would like to have your say. It's Marcus Paul in the morning in just a couple of moments. Friendly Geordies on the program. Jordan's had a good old crack at water mismanagement, water corruption in New South Wales. It's worth a listen. It's not too far away. Yeah, welcome to Monday. That's the latest for Tay-Tay, Taylor Swift. It's called Willow, Marcus Paul in the morning. Australia's only independence contemporary. News Talk Radio Show, give us a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Uh, David Shoebridge, not too far away after uh, 7 o'clock, we'll have a chat with David ahead of yet another hearing of the Accountability Commission in New South Wales. Uh, In their sights today is the Deputy Premier of uh, the state, John Barillaro. Now, speaking of bros, uh, he's obviously been targeted before by this fellow, as have we, because we need to continue to ensure that our taxpayer dollars are spent appropriately. Oh, look, there he is. He's just he's popped up on the, the screen at the moment, Mr. Everyday Farmer himself, Barnaby Joyce. 
Well, Barnaby, uh, once you get off sunrise, I hope you're listening to the radio, mate, because something special is coming your way. Marcus Paul in the morning. We're bringing you all the news and your views. When did Marcus Paul turn into Michael West, but with Koshy's voice, which I think we could all agree is Michael West's missing ingredient? Biggest thanks of all goes to the prawn of the hour and purely just because Marcus Paul's hashtag is incredible. We've got to get it trending just for the meme value. You ready? It's amazing. You're going to love it. Hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. Now that's on brand. Tell your grandparents switch over from 2GB to 2SM and to sweeten the deal, remind them, Alan Jones doesn't work there anymore. Marcus Paul kind of sounds like him. And straight after that, <laughs> John Law's paying out his audience. That is a superstar lineup. Nothing less expected from the Super Network. We're bringing you all the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yep. It would be one thing if the Australian government paid 57 times the price they should have for water. With your money going to a Cayman Island company set up by yet another politician, and at least we got the water. (laughs) Yeah? No, we didn't. Helen Dalton MP has shared this on her socials, as have we. Some more brilliant work by this young fellow, Jordan Shanks. The bush into the Mad Max universe. The Mad Max party has done what they did in the movie. They've hogged all the water in a Mad Max citadel. It's just Snowy Hydro 2.0. But instead of trading the water for bullets, they just trade the water. It's a commodity in Australia now. Farmers pay for entitlements, but so do foreign companies. They speculate on it. The government then buys back some of these entitlements ostensibly to make sure there's enough water in the environment so everything doesn't look like this. And can I just say, mission accomplished. But there's a problem with that system in that water is f***ing easy to steal. Elephants have figured this out. Secondly, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but water is essential for the environment, farming and humanity's survival. So treating it like Bitcoin probably isn't the best idea. Today I thought we'd bust a few government-sanctioned myths about water in Australia and the massive corruption surrounding it. And what better place to start than the taxpayer-funded providers of government myths, the ABC. It might be the biggest who-done-it or what-done-it in Australia. F*** what is this, BTN? More than two trillion litres of water, enough to fill Sydney Harbour four and a half times over, has gone missing from our largest and most precious river system, the Murray-Darling Basin. Ooh, where did it go? Now, to understand why this is such a dumb statement, I have to explain a couple of things. Floodplain harvesting is pretty much exactly what the name implies. It's where you harvest water from natural floodplains and keep it in storage for irrigation later. Now, the problem with that is it prevents water from seeping into the ground and going downstream to farmers and the environment. And instead, a large amount of water gets concentrated in a certain area upstream. For that reason, because it's, I think, the most selfish thing I've ever heard of in my entire life, even more selfish than cutting in line at the canteen at high school. It's really illegal. Marianne Slattery used to work at the Murray-Darling Basin Authority until she left in disgust. She's a gun water researcher. Her firm found that floodplain harvesting has increased 140% since 1994, from 600 gigalitres in 94 to 1,500 gigalitres now. Just to give you an idea of how much that is, that is 1.5 trillion litres. I don't know why we put up a Blue Haven pool for that. It's obviously more than that. But the ABC is being purposefully moronic with this. Oh, it's just a Carmen Sandiego manufactured drought edition. Solve the clues yourself. ABC, 
It's not a f***ing whodunit when there's research that shows 1.5 trillion litres of it is being held in on-farm storage, a majority of it taken illegally. It's not like this is a mystery to you either. I'm quoting you. This entire article is essentially the same thing the nationals do when they're confronted with the mess they've created. And uh, how do you explain these unprecedented fish kills? Oh, well, it's been a bad drought. And, and can I just say, Kerry, fish have been doing it real tough in the bush recently. Here's another incredible obfuscation from your ABC. To save the struggling river system by 2019, federal and state governments have spent $6.7 billion recovering 2.1 trillion litres of water to put back in the rivers. Oh, no they haven't, you s***s. For one, that last bit is a lie, or a gross obfuscation at least, because yeah, Maybe when the plan was implemented by Labor in 2012, there was a bit of political will to give water back to the environment. But since the Libs have been in, they never intended 2.1 trillion litres of water to go back into the river systems. And a perfect example of that is Watergate, where Barnaby Joyce, as Water Minister, ordered the Australian government to buy 29 gigalitres of water entitlements for 80 million taxpayer dollars. At the time, it was considered an insane markup. Even the sellers were asking for 7% less than that. But Barnaby just decided, nap, we're going to give him even more than what they asked for. It later came out that the value was recommended Barnaby pay around half of what he ended up paying. Even then, this was still a huge markup and probably involved some level of corruption to even get to the level of 45 million, as ASIC documents show that Eastern Australian Agriculture, the company itself, valued its entire water holdings at less than 80 million dollars. Barnaby paid 80 million for less than half of that. It's Barnaby's building block of life bonanza. Get half the amount, pay double the price, find a more expensive deal and I'll eat my own hat. Well, I hope you're hungry, Barnaby, because the original valuations that were rejected by Barnaby's department are even better. They valued the water at 1.4 million. Barnaby paid 80 million dollars. 57 times the price. Sorry to overdo the point, but hang on, isn't Barnaby from the party of strong economic managers? Why, yes I am. Who's asking? Well, he's definitely a great economic manager for someone because it turns out the company that benefited was a company registered in the Cayman Islands and founded by none other than Barnaby's good colleague, McAngus Taylor, the Minister for Energy and Emissions Reductions. I guess if taxpayer money wasn't a mission, he'd be reducing it. And gaining energy in the process of doing it in the form of gall. Two birds, one stone. Just to give you a better idea of who Angus Taylor is, he is a man so simultaneously stupid and corrupt that he is willing to forge government documents just to own councillors. It'd be one thing if the Australian government paid 57 times the price they should have for water with your money going to a Cayman Islands company set up by another politician and we at least got the water. It'd be another if we didn't. Because when Barnaby is confronted by this, you know what his response is? Those lefties wanted more water in the environment, so I bought it for 57 times the price that I should have. That's a bargain. But as Marion Slattery points out, the levy banks on the property we paid for the licenses on are still there. So the water hasn't gone back into the environment. Plus there's no dam to store the water, so it can't be released strategically. And it's an overland flow license, which means that when the water eventually leaves the property, it's gone. The Nationals donors can illegally suck it all up for free with no repercussions. So in short, the elected official bought water with taxpayer money from his mate, paid 57 times the price, then his mate never delivered the product. That's the level of corruption that is public surrounding water in this country. There we go.
brilliant work. You won't read about it. Uh, you won't hear anything about it in the Daily Telegraph. You certainly uh, <laughs> won't see it on the commercial television news. Great work, Jordan. Great work. 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you'd like to have your say. 13 12 supernetwork.com uh, for your emails. Now, students are not being penalised for spelling errors in HSE exams. We're going to talk about this with the Australian Tutoring Association co-founder, Moen Dahl. He'll be on the program in the next half an hour. Uh, he believes that good spelling is essential to communicating and should make up a small part of the marking criteria on essays. Well, it always used to. I can remember when I went through high school, uh, particularly year 11 and year 12, your assessments for your HSC, we were told very clearly, get your spelling right, get your punctuation correct, otherwise you will be marked down. What's changed? Well, I'd argue probably technology, obviously, and the fact that too many kids are sitting on tablets and mobile phones these days and abbreviating things. Get in contact with Marcus anytime. Email us, MP in the morning at 2SMSupernetwork.com. All right, welcome back. Hello there. If you're just joining us for the first time, it is Monday. It's February the 8th, 2021, and it's great to have your company this morning. Plenty of news around. We'd love to get your views on it. Of course, today um, we've got, um, I don't want to call it the COVID tournament, but maybe that's apt. I don't know. The Australian Open will get underway in Melbourne. Should it be going ahead? A lot of people think not. What do you say? 13, 12, 69. Meanwhile, five people in New South Wales are isolating after staying at the Park Hyatt Hotel at Melbourne Airport at the same time as another guest caught the British variant of the virus from people staying in an adjacent room. Victorian health authorities believe viral particles may have exited the room of a family who later tested positive and either lingered in the air or attached to a surface which then caused a woman in another room to contract the same strain. And, of course, that led all the way to the south coast of New South Wales. Boy, oh, boy. Anyway, there is a health alert out. All the details are up there. Hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. A number of venues visited by this woman include a hotel in Bulleye, uh, that beautiful new Headlands Hotel at Austinmere, and a stack of others down in the Illawarra, and even up into the south of Sydney at Brighton La Sands. If you've been to any of those areas lately and you are perhaps showing symptoms, go and get yourself tested immediately and then self-isolate. <laughs> Also, the Morrison government has ruled out offering taxpayer subsidies for the private uptake of plug-in hybrid and electric cars, arguing in its long-awaited future fuel strategy that they would not offer value for money in efforts to drive down carbon emissions. Instead, the government has identified other initiatives it says will make the most impacts in the transition to low-emission vehicles and net-zero carbon emissions. Businesses will be encouraged to invest in hybrid and electric car fleets, which the government hopes will in turn increase private uptake by flooding the second-hand market with cheaper electric cars due to business fleets' high turnover. Uh, 
Energy Minister Angus Taylor said the $74.5 million future fuels package will also invest in charging infrastructure at workplaces and in regional black spots. But industry insiders, including the Electric Vehicle Council of Australia's Chief Executive, say Australia is still miles behind other countries in the uptake of cleaner transport. What do you say to that? Give me a call. All right, very soon we're going to catch up with the Australian Tutoring Association of Australia, their co-founder, Moen Dahl, on this front-page story today that students are not being penalised for spelling errors in HSE exams in a practice that experts say must end in order to focus pupils on getting the basics right. Meantime, though, again today, there will be more of an inquiry into pork barrelling. Operation Normal for the New South Wales Government. David Shoebridge is head of this inquiry, which will have its star witness in the box today, and that is the Deputy Premier of New South Wales, John Barillaro. John, at least, uh, has the kahunas to show up. The Premier, pfft, not at all. And I'm happy to say David Shoebridge joins us on the program. Good morning to you, David. Yeah, good morning, Marcus. It's going to be an interesting day. It will be. Uh, Look, not only will we be looking into more detail of the original Stronger Communities Funds, uh, which saw, you know, a whole range or 95% of $200-odd million being funnelled into LNP seats ahead of the last state election, but also there's this latest round of funding for bushfire recovery, $177 million, of which a lot of it... David, unfortunately, again, went to the wrong areas. Nothing for uh, the Blue Mountains, but plenty for Wagga Wagga and places elsewhere. Yeah, and and the government has just released some additional documents over the weekend trying to justify the allocation of funds that they had. And and again, um, it just raises more questions than it answers. So, for example... um, The Blue Mountains, um, Central Coast, uh, both Labor-held areas. Um, The Blue Mountains, on the government's own analysis, suffered more than $65 million in economic loss. I think uh, the local community would probably say it's bigger than that, but it says $65 million in economic loss. The Central Coast suffered more than $150 million in economic loss. And up in uh, Ballina on the North Coast... um, that community suffered more than $85 million in economic loss. Collectively, those three areas, Allen is a green seat, the other two are Labor seats, suffered more than $315 million in economic loss. And guess how much money they received, Marcus? Uh, Zero? (laughs) Yeah, not one red cent, not a a dollar. And um, and, and it's just inconceivable, really, um, that, um, that, that, that funds that are needed for bushfire relief... Mm. can ignore those areas that were so badly hit. And in fact, from memory, the, the Premier went and made an announcement about bushfire relief, two announcements. She made one in the Blue Mountains and one in the Central Coast, and then <laughs> then they don't get a single dollar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I remember now. You're absolutely right. The Premier was there in uh, Photo uh, Central, uh, you know, Photo Opportunity Central, <laughs> the Blue Mountains at the height of the Gosper Mountain fires, etc., and how much money went to the Blue Mountains for bushfire recovery? Yeah, 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 not a dollar. And, and no wonder the local community is angry. They feel like they've been used for a photo op yeah. and for this pretend empathy. And then 
you know, when the rubber hits the road and they really need the help, they don't get a single dollar. Now, now, I can understand how a majority of the money would go to coalition seats for bushfire relief. I think everyone can understand that. You know, the, the coalition hold uh, a majority of seats out in regional New South Wales, and you could see how there would be, you know, a, a preponderance of the money would go towards the coalition. But the fact that... Um, uh, any seats held by effectively the opposition, the, the Labor Party, the Greens and the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party, the fact that collectively they received only $2.5 million, and meanwhile, you know, out of a $177 million fund, mm. that kind of gross political pork barrelling. And then when you drill down further and you see these communities that were so hit and, and, and have been absolutely frozen out, um, you know, that's what makes people angry and that's what I'll be asking, and I'm sure the balance of the committee will be asking questions of the Deputy Premier about today. Well, the Deputy Premier, to his credit, will front up and he will answer, well, hopefully, all of the questions. Uh, he has said that, essentially, they wanted to get this money out ASAP. Uh, that's what I'm reading this morning. Mr Barilaro agreed to appear before the Grants Inquiry when it was investigating the Stronger Communities Program. But, of course, now we're also looking into this other $177 million grant for bushfire local economic recoveries. Um, look, at the end of the day, um, Mr. Barillaro has said that you, David Shoebridge, need to get out yeah. on the road with him and see firsthand for yourself fire recovery efforts with your own eyes. What do you say to that? Yeah, well, I've travelled around the state um, repeatedly. <clears throat> um, soon after the fires, following the fires, I've seen the devastation that's caused. I know what, what's, um, how there are people still living in caravans, you know, still living in tents businesses that are still shut down, towns that have been savaged. And, and I think that's why, I, you know, personally, I'm very, very angry about this politicised funding. And, and it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? The Deputy Premier is accusing me of politicising the funding when all I'm doing is pointing out um, where he has decided to allocate the funds. And, and you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to go on a trip with John Barillaro, a short trip <laughs> with yeah. John Barillaro to, to see... To see yeah, some of those areas that did get funded, provided he comes with me mm. and goes to those areas that didn't get funded. Well, there you go. You're not. You wouldn't be partaking in the politics of envy, would you, David? Uh, I don't think it's envy when when you when you realise just um, how hurt these communities have been, um, how 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 towns, how you know farmers, homeowners are struggling because they've had so much damage to, to their fires. I think just wanting yeah. a, a fair shake is is what this is about. Um, and, and as I said before, I could understand how there would be, you know, the majority of money going to coalition seats, but it's just so politicised. And, and, you know, nobody knew about it. Um, there was no application process. There was no... Uh, there, was a, there was an announcement by the Prime Minister at some point, mm. but there was no form you could fill in. Um, and, and we still don't know how projects like $10 million towards Vizzy Corporation, you know, a pulp and paper manufacturer, $10 million towards... Richard cor Pratt's mob, corporation, yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know... Perhaps one of the richest people in the country, yep. um, a multinational corporation that mm. is vastly profitable. Who chose to give them $10 million of bushfire relief funding well, while their people's homes are burnt down? But hang on, why <coughs> did Vizzy, Richard Pratt's mob, why did they get $10 million of bushfire funding, David? Well, it's almost as though you've, you've got one of the questions I'm going to put to the Deputy Premier today. Right. They, they, got, they got it allegedly to build some additional plant at their factory. Now, they're a hugely profitable multinational corporation. They don't need bushfire relief funding. Somebody's lost their home needs bushfire relief funding. Some, a farmer who's had all the fences and, um, and sheds destroyed, they need bushfire funding. Not a, 
multinational corporation owned by one of the richest people in the country. Hmm. I don't know. I'm speechless. I really am. Yeah. What about Wagga Wagga, <coughs> a state held by an independent after the Liberals, of course, lost <coughs> that seat, etc. You know the history there. Uh, I mean, how much did they spend out in Wagga? Well, Wagga got between a quarter and a third of all the money that was made available out of this. Um, and what fires and, were burning out at Wagga? Well, well, in, in, the, in the council area of Wagga Wagga, not much. But the seat of Wagga also includes the Snowy Mountains, the uh, Snowy Valleys, and, and they did get hit by the fires. You know, they had um, yep. real damage to the fires, but they did not have between a quarter and a third of all the damage and fire-related damage um, ac- across New South Wales. Um, they, they deserve some fair funding, but they got this extraordinary amount of money. And, of course, a lot of that money went into um, the highly marginal seat of federal seat of Eden Monaro, and as you will remember, that's a federal seat that John Barillaro has from time to time indicated he wants to run for. Well, it's also, let's be honest, it's his state seat as well. Um, well, <laughs> I think this is outside his state seat. I mean, we, we spoke about... Oh, OK, strong, is it? We spoke about the stronger... Well, some of it is. But yeah, yeah, we, yeah, spoke yeah. About, we spoke about the stronger communities fund, you know. We kind of forget there have been so many rorts. That was another one where they, they funneled out... $250 million just before the last state election. And John Barillaro was responsible for about a quarter of that. Um, and, and, you know, he, he decided to give, I think, about $3.9 million to his own electorate, again, through a process where there was no application, no public calls, just public money being handed out to people chosen um, in, in heaven knows what basis by the coalition um, and coalition MPs. Mm. All right. Well, it'll be interesting. What time does all this get underway today? Uh, 10 o'clock. Um, right. and, look at, and I'm going to give um, the Deputy Premier the credit for actually turning up. I mean, he's going to turn up and he's going to face the music. We've twice asked the Premier mm. to come and do the same, and yeah. she has refused. So, you know, I'll give John credit. He's going to turn up. I don't think it's going to be the easiest exchange. I hope it'll be a polite exchange, mm. but at least he's turning up. All right. Now, also on the agenda, the Independent Commission Against Corruption... Uh, now, I understanding again. My understanding is again, if they get the chance, um, the LNP government in New South Wales would love to reduce the amount of funding uh, to fight against corruption, and not only ICAC but for other state watchdogs. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had the ICAC chief commissioner, the same the same um, committee that's holding this inquiry into the the grant scandal. Um, I also chaired the inquiry into how we go about funding and, and properly and transparently funding all the oversight agencies. You know, we have ICAC, we have the police watchdog, we have the ombudsman, you know, even the electoral commission. And all of them came to us and said they don't have enough money. And in yeah. fact, when they go and ask the government for money, it all happens in secret. So ICAC has repeatedly gone and asked the government for more funds to track down corruption in New South Wales. And I think out of the last... This all happens in secret year after year. And mm. of their last 12 requests for funding, yep. um, only two were funded. The other 10 were rejected by the government. And that all happened in secret, in a secret budget process. And so what we had an inquiry, we, we heard from all of these agencies, we looked at best practice around the world, and we said, well, we should end the secrecy. Um, that if these organisations need funding to hold the government to account, that shouldn't be a secret conversation, you know, with the Premier's department and then with Treasury. That should happen in the full glare of light, should be a multi-party parliamentary committee that oversights their budget requests and makes recommendations. And, and I've got to say, that has had you know, enormous support from all those oversight agencies. They're, they're desperate so that 
to have their funding set at a level where they can do their job yeah. and also have it done in a way where they don't have such an obvious conflict of interest. You know, ICAC asking the Premier now for extra money when she's the subject of the inquiry, they say that's such a conflict of interest. You've got to have a transparent way of funding these bodies. All right, I don't mean to embarrass you, mate, but uh, we've got a number of hashtag warriors that we've anointed on this program. We've got our water warrior, Helen Dalton, our animal warrior, Emma Hurst, our koala warrior, uh, the opposition uh, uh, environment minister, uh, Kate Washington. I think uh, we're going to anoint a new hashtag rorts warrior in yourself, David, so let's talk more often on this. Cheers, Marcus. Unfortunately, there's plenty to talk about. So uh, yeah, we'll, that's we'll true. Again. Thank you, mate. Sorry. All the best. Bye-bye. There he is, our hashtag Rorts Warrior. Boy, oh boy, we're really filling up our warriors, aren't we? Our hashtag Warriors Scruff. Uh, We'll put a podcast up of my discussion with... David Shoebridge this morning as we anoint him our hashtag <laughs> Rorts Warrior. Alrighty, 13, 12, 69, socially speaking, we do that each and every Monday. Nicole Fay from Local Edge Marketing out Penrith Way will be on the program very soon. We'll catch up with Nikki just after the 7.30 news. Uh, look, we'll, we'll speak to the Australian Tutoring Association also after 7.30. We've, we were caught up with David in those discussions, so we'll grab... Uh, uh, the Australian Tutoring Association co-founder, Moen Dahl. So just after the news at 7.30 and then Nikki at around a quarter to eight this morning. Okay, 13.12.69, if you would like to have you say, Marcus Paul in the morning. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. The NRL's chief gender advisor has called for cultural understanding and not a suspension for young Brisbane Broncos test prop Payne Haas. Why are you looking at me like that? Because you're a woman, you think I won't touch you. To a female police officer. The bloke is a grub. Catherine, I'm sorry. What if it was you that all of these... These awful comments were directed at. They may respond different to police authority than someone from an Anglo background. What a load of tripe. Stop making excuses for these scrubs and rub this bloke out of the game. Marcus Paul in the morning. I didn't have a mobile phone at school. I'm a dinosaur. We didn't bother with any of that technology. We didn't, it wasn't available. We did silly things like talk to each other around recess and throw the football around. We'll try and chat up girls. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus <laughs> Paul in the morning. All right, Anthony Albanese has urged his shadow cabinet to ensure new policy proposals are offset with spending cuts, according to leaked documents that reveal the extent of the opposition leader's plan to dump Labor's big tax and spend agenda in favour of a smaller platform. Well, Albo will outline some of these platforms during this week. The documents obtained by the Sydney Morning Herald reveal Mr Albanese is preparing Labor for a potential early election by ordering his top team to help restore the party's economic credibility as it readies its pitch to form governments. There we go. I'll give you some more detail on that um, as we get it to hand. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning where it's now right on 730 
22 minutes away from 8 o'clock on this Monday morning. It is February 8th. Lots of blue bottles around Sydney uh, on our beaches in particular over the last uh, few days. While the blueies have appeared on Sydney's shores of late, a different kind of pest has been running amok in the Central West. Good morning to our listeners in Bathurst and Orange. Thanks to bountiful crop growing conditions over the past 12 months, our mouse population has grown to plague proportions, we hear. In fact, it's not been uh, seen, the infestation that we've got for, well, at least a decade, back to 2011. And that infestation back then, a decade ago, cost farmers more than $200 million. Although consistent rainfall is usually a cause for celebration in New South Wales, the CSIRO said this year's moist season had created perfect mouse breeding conditions. The sizeable crop and moisture in the air allows them to breed and feed. This goes on large it goes on largely undetected until it's too late. Look, from the age of six weeks, a mouse can breed every ten to twenty-one days. Jesus, I didn't know that. As soon as it gives birth, it can again be impregnated. This means a single mouse Feeding its first litter is also gestating its second, so a pair of average mice can create 500 offspring a season. Mice normally stop breeding in spring, but thanks to 2021's mild weather and an increase in uh, no-till cropping systems, they have continued to breed throughout summer and it may not stop until after autumn. No-till cropping means farmers retain the standing stubble from a previous crop by planting seeds into untilled soil. The aim is to move as little of the soil as possible so weed seeds don't come to the surface and germinate. It's a great system for subduing wind erosion and improving soils, but sadly, it also creates a perfect environment for mice. Oh dear, oh dear. I mean, they tell us in Kurindai... Uh, the estimation, the damage caused by mice to this season's crop revenue could be up to 5% in some of the most affected areas. They need control measures in place, such as baiting to limit grain loss to less than 100 kilograms per hectare. Hungry, horny little mice. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know what, how else to put it. I mean, I thought rabbits bred like rabbits. Really? So two little mouse getting busy can generate up to 500 little mice. No wonder Mickey was always so exhausted. All right, that's enough of that. Students are not being penalised, we're told for making simple spelling errors in HSE exams. It's a practice that experts say must end in order to focus pupils on getting the basics right. Under the current HSE syllabus, the New South Wales Education Standards Authority accepts poor spelling, grammar and punctuation in exams. They claim students are primarily being assessed on their understanding of the books and poems they've studied rather than, you know, how they construct their arguments punctuation, spelling, etc. Let's talk about this, um, hopefully. See, the problem is, I think it's technology. You know, too much abbreviation via 
Facebook and uh, on tablets and mobile phones and laptops. The Australian Tutoring Association co-founder Mohan Dahl joins us on the program. Mohan, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Marcus. It's nice to have your company. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, now, it's essential, you say, to communicate uh, properly and in correct grammar using the correct spelling when it comes to, you know, answering questions in exams. Yeah, we think that if you have high expectations of students and expect them to do basic things right, then you set them up for a really good life. And it does surprise us that an English exam wouldn't emphasise those basics really, really strongly. I can recall, um, going back 20-odd years plus, when I did my HSC, and I was told very clearly that, you know, you need to get the basics right, Marcus. You need to make sure when you're constructing your arguments in, in your... And you know, I did, th- what was it, uh, at that point, uh, the highest English you could do? I think it was uh, three-unit English. And we were told, you'll be marked down if your uh, punctuation is incorrect, if your spelling is also incorrect. But that's not happening these days. No, it isn't. And uh, there's a couple of issues here. In what we call a standards referenced assessment, if you don't give marks to it, then you don't include it. So they don't give marks to spelling, grammar or punctuation. And in a business studies paper, they ask students to write a report, but they're not given marks for it. So if they don't write a report, they can still get four marks. So the question here is, what are they actually assessing and what do they want kids to achieve? I mean, you say clear and quality communication depends on a number of things, including accurate spelling. Uh, A mathematician, for instance, wouldn't get away with sloppy calculations, and a writer should not get away with sloppy spelling. Yeah, so uh, a colleague, uh, Dr. Don Carter, says that, and I agree with him. He says that, uh, uh, so when you're showing you're working in maths, you're given marks for that, and every kid knows it. And it should be the same when it comes to the use of the English language. Spelling, grammar, punctuation, they're basic. We do NAPLAN for what purpose? Um, If we're not improving basic literacy, then what's schooling for? Well, absolutely. And that's the problem. Maybe it starts... Do you think it does start at this early age? That's what's leading to perhaps a lax in uh, punctuation and grammar uh, once they reach, you know, year 10, 11 and 12? Yeah, without doubt. And you have another issue here. When you uh, train teachers of different subject areas, they say, um, I'm not sure if I should correct spelling, punctuation and grammar, but isn't that the job of English teachers? And I'm not sure if I should help basic numeracy, isn't that the job of math teachers? And when we train them, we say every teacher should be helping kids with their basic literacy and numeracy. But if the English syllabus doesn't require basic spelling, punctuation and grammar in exams, then we have a bit of a problem because then all teachers are going to find their teaching and learning harder. Yeah, well said. All right, it's great to have you on the program this morning. What can we do about it? Well, um, I think we can start making it a criteria. So when we have exams, we should say that a small proportion of the marks are weighted on correct use of punctuation, grammar and spelling. In other subjects like business studies, you can say the structure of your report or in economics, how you write your essay. These sorts of things should be given weighting. And then students will attend to them and teachers will teach to those sorts of standards. All right. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it, Mohan.
Thank you very much, Marcus. All right, Mohan Dahl, Australian Tutoring Association co-founder, is right. Uh, what do you say about it? Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. The telephone number. Breakfast with Marcus Paul. Please explain. Call Marcus now. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. All right, just on that. Uh, is it Miranda? Yes, Marcus. Hello, Miranda. Uh, How are you? Uh, I love listening to you. Thank you. Very kind. Just two things on spelling. Yeah. The first thing is, like everything else, it's about the money. Um, overseas students coming in, their grasp of the English language naturally is very poor, and therefore um, English is, is dumped down for them. Yes. And that's happening not just in, in universities, it's also happening in high schools now. That's a really good point. In, You're right. In yes. public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, with regards to poor spelling, yeah. at university, when I was proofreading... Um, my daughter's and son's work, mm-hmm. on the computer, on the word processor, it's marked in red. So naturally they know, and they're very intelligent, they know it's misspelled. And when I point out to them, well, you know, this is misspelled, all you have to do is right-click and correct it. Mm. They say to me, Mum, it's the idea, they don't care about the spelling. And sure enough, when it comes back, HD, Marcus, even though it has red lines all over it, yeah the computer showing it's misspelled it's all about the money and overseas students and as far as i'm concerned if covid reduces the number of international students all the better when i went to uni marcus yeah you seldom saw a foreign student at sydney university now now over a third are international students and our own population our own youth is not getting educated and are you, are you suggesting that it's because we make, uh, I don't want to use the word excuses, but we make allowances for uh, perhaps people uh, of a non-English speaking background? Well, when you have half your classroom yeah. without English as their first language because they're international students, yep. they're all going to fail if you mark it at the standard that you know we used to have years ago before international students were admitted into universities. Yeah. It's about the money markers. It has to be dumbed down. If I could just tell you, do you know that in universities mm-hmm. and the high schools that have international students, what they do is they divide the assessment tasks, the groups are divided according to your your grasp of English. So you might have a whole lot of international students and you'll pop in an Australian-speaking person in there yep. to make sure, because it's a group assessment, to make sure the group passes. Yeah. And my kids end up doing most of the work because the other students cannot talk English. Mm. And and the level of assessment is all marked down. Do you know, when I studied, we used to have false characters. There was no word processes markers. Yep. And if I made a mistake in an essay, I had to rewrite. There was no liquid paper. I had to rewrite the entire thing all over again, just for one spelling mistake, all over again. Whoa. So, yeah. And nowadays, all they have to do is right-click and correct it, and they don't do it because they're still going to get HD markers because it's all dumbed down. The standard sickens me. All right, well, that's a great call, and I appreciate you for making it. Thank you so much, Miranda. You have a good day. I love you, Marcus. Oh, I love you too. Thank you. Very kind. Thank you. (laughs) Okay.
All right. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Lynn on the email, MP in the morning at 2SM Super Network says, G'day, Marcus. I'm very thankful for David Shoebridge for his investigative work and for you for allowing him to reveal the facts on this disgraceful misappropriation of taxpayers' money by the New South Wales government. I've had a gutful of what Gladys has and is continuing to get away with and also with the Prime Minister. All talk, no action, no backbone, no leadership. His shine has certainly faded with me. Best wishes, Lynn. All right, well, thank you. Uh, And this one, um, g'day, Marcus. Uh, thank you for your program. It's not only informative, down to earth, and you say what most of us are thinking, and you're courageous for saying the truth, knowing you will get abuse. Uh, well, uh, the emailer goes on to say you make me laugh, and when you change your voice to him, yeah, okay. And I'm sorry for the abuse you cop, but you have so many supporters that outweigh the nasty ones. Look forward to listening each morning. Regards, again, uh, this email, or I won't name you. But thank you. It's very kind, Mum. No, it's not, Mum. Uh, but, we, yeah, we did copper again a few over the weekend, but that's all right. We put a couple up on our social media. That's how we deal with the trolls on this program. Uh, the one in particular that uh, was, a bit, was a bit of fun was a fellow who I, I don't even know what this bloke was going on about, but I shared it just for laughs. Paul Thomas. Paul, I suspect you are probably listening So you'll get your 30 seconds of fame. Here we go. Marcus, this is the subject of the email. Marcus, you are simply crap. Can I just say that you don't and never will have it, okay? The only way for you to be a success is to have an offsider. So the two of you do the program. You voice is not suited to radio. It makes me sick. Listen, don't give me that 2GB reply, okay? There is Radio 702. Okay, you dingbat. That's from Paul Thomas. Uh, Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, a number of these people do breed and there's not much at all that we can do about it. But we'll keep fighting the good fight, shall we? Give me a call. 131269 if you would like to have your say. Eight minutes away from eight. Nikki Faye. In just a couple of moments, socially speaking on the program, on boosting posts on social media next. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, socially speaking with Nicole Fay, thanks to Local Edge Marketing. Here we are on a Monday and we love talking about social media. Hello, Nikki. Morning, Marcus. How are you going? All right, thank you. Why should we stop wasting money on boosting posts on social? Oh, Marcus, look, honestly, Mm. when I meet with small business owners, it's one of the biggest misconceptions, um, you know, when a business owner has a Facebook page. You know, they'll say, oh, well, Nikki, I'm I'm already advertising on Facebook. I I put $500 on a boosted post. I set the age bracket. I set the geographic targeting, but I got nothing out of it, so I don't know if it's for me. And that's when I just, oh... It's very frustrating because it's a very, very easy way for Facebook to make fast money. Right. And look, a lot of those Facebook ads that you see come up in your feed, mm. you know, like the very professional looking ones, they're very targeted. Yeah. Um, they are done not by boosting posts. They're done in a completely separate area of Facebook, yeah. which is what professionals use. Um, small business owners can easily learn it themselves, mm. but 
like the tools that Facebook have behind the scenes for advertising is incredible. Is that the what? Are, what do they refer to that as? I've seen it. Um... Yeah. So, for example, our agency. So we all do it within Facebook Business Manager. That's it. Facebook yeah. Business Manager. Okay. Yeah, and and look, you know when you visit a website, yeah, you visit a website and you're browsing the products, you pop them into your cart, but you didn't hit proceed. Us advertisers can actually retarget you mm-hmm. because we know that you didn't quite hit purchase or okay. com- or complete um, the process. Sure. Um, and there's also a huge myriad of interest-based targeting. We can target. Lookalike audiences, custom database audiences, the list goes on. And you can do it from as little as $5 a day. Very, very cheap, very affordable for mm-hmm. small business owners. Yeah. Um, and much more effective than throwing $500 on a boosted post that was never going to work. All right, stop boosting. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Where do we go for uh, this and other great social media tips, as always? Yeah, no worries. So you can head to Local Edge Marketing. You can easily find us um, on your first search on Google by typing in Local Edge Marketing. Yep. We're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. Always happy to help. Great to chat. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks, Marcus. Bye-bye. All right, there she is, our social media expert, Nicole Fay. Look, today the Rethink Sugary Drink Alliance is launching a counter campaign which aims to grab the attention of young males in particular. Now, young blokes, young males, are Australia's largest sugary drink consumers. Why are they doing it? Well, in order to shine a light on the glorified ways that sugary drink companies depict their products and the health harms associated with drinking them. With one in six teenagers downing at least 5.2 kilos of added sugar from sugary drinks alone every year. Rethink Sugary Drink will use this new campaign to urge young people to rethink their sugary drink consumption and go for water instead. Uh, Maybe I need to listen very uh, carefully when I conduct the interview, which we'll do after 8 o'clock this morning because I'm one of those. I am addicted to sugary drinks. There you go. I've said it. I've admitted it. I'm addicted to V. I don't drink alcohol. Here I go with the excuses. I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink coffee. But it's amazing. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I want is a sugary hit, usually a a V. And this old scruff out there will tell me I'm the bloke that keeps the, uh, the cafe downstairs business cooking along so far as sugary drinks is concerned i probably need to stop 13 12 69 the telephone number if you'd like to add your five cents to that uh, we'll t- continue this discussion after the news which is up now at eight o'clock marcus paul in the morning You might have seen the vision of this, by the way, at eight and a half after eight, of this crocodile um, that's 
in uh, the north of the country, this crocodile that's wandered onto a beach. I think it's up near Caldwell. Anyway, uh, and it's decided to have a chomp on a fisherman's catch of two baby sharks. Now, I've got a couple of problems with this. First and foremost, um, the person who posted the video, which we have up on our social media as well, by the way, um, they basically are acting all surprised. Well, <laughs> you're not fooling me, and I don't think you're fooling a lot of people uh, who've also commented on this video this morning. Now, yes, I understand that crocodiles have to eat, but I also would think, to be perfectly honest, they shouldn't be fed on beaches, no matter where they are, because surely all you're doing is encouraging the animals that are very, very dangerous onto a beach. Here we go. Um, a woman fishing at Cardwell, North Queensland, has captured the incredible moment a huge crocodile came to shore and ate two baby sharks. This woman, Yvonne Palmer, uploaded the video after apparently hooking two small sharks. However, however, before she was able to release them, she noticed the prehistoric beast stalking its way onto shore with an eye for a catch. The croc tosses the sharks into its mouth before slowly swimming away from the shadows. Shallows. <laughs> so is it okay, maybe, to pointlessly catch and kill baby sharks as long as you're feeding them to crocodiles to get your 15 minutes of fame? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm of two minds on this. Like I say, it's almost as if she's caught the sharks as bait for the croc for her social media account. And what's worse is she's left the two baby sharks on the shallow, or on the sand, just out of the, out of the, uh, the water to basically suffocate. Along comes the croc, and it looks all amazing on camera and all the rest of it because the crocodile's not at fault. It's just doing what it naturally does. Eats anything. Uh, look, I don't know. Um, I think, to be honest, the woman probably should rethink what she's doing. Not only is it probably not right from a fisheries point of view, but it's also quite dangerous. What she, I mean, who's to say this crocodile won't decide? To come back to a Caldwell Beach in North Queensland expecting another feed and there's a small child in the shallows or something. I think it was a little bit irresponsible. That's Well, that's my point of view. What do you say? Uh, Education Minister of New South Wales, Sarah Mitchell, is calling on parents to stop their kids bringing vapes to school. The problem of kids smoking illegal e-cigarettes at school is increasing, according to the New South Wales Education Minister. And schools are now also taking extreme measures to try and stop kids vaping. Uh, now, uh, Ms Mitchell has called for parents to do more to stop their children bringing vapes to school and said being caught with one was serious. Anecdotally, schools are seeing a rise in students accessing e-cigarettes. Principals and teachers are handling these cases appropriately with strong disciplinary action and information and informing the students' parents or carers. Students must realise, says the Education Minister, that vaping at school is extremely serious. It's considered a drug and the disciplinary actions are severe. Vapes are not a healthy alternative. They contain highly addictive nicotine as well as other toxic chemicals. 
My message to students is simple, don't do it. Ms Mitchell added that as a community, everyone must work hard to ensure that vapes are not being sold to underage people. Well, look, Sarah, I agree with you, but it's very hard considering most of these kids get the vapes from online. They buy them online and they're sent to either their residence or somewhere else for the kids to pick up. It's very hard to stop it. Very, very hard. Good morning. Morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Alrighty, uh, Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 and a half after 8. So I'm going to talk about sugary drinks very soon. The Rethink Sugary Drink Alliance are launching a campaign to try and get young blokes and me off these energy drinks. That's on the way. Now, a comfy new lounge made and delivered in three or four weeks is what you'll get from Chili Pitch Chili Pip Lounge Designs, Sydney's favourite lounge manufacturer. You can sit back, unwind and relax in your Chili Pip Lounge, custom made to suit your needs and to reflect your lifestyle. At Chili Pip Lounge Designs, you can choose from a wide selection of styles available in fabric or leather and anything they tell us is possible. Your Chili Pip Lounge is made for you the way you want it brand new. Whether you're watching a movie or having a laugh with friends or cuddling with someone special, you will love spending time on your Chili Pip Lounge. Mention you heard it here on Marcus Paul in the morning. I tell you what, you'll receive free fabric protection with your order valued at $300. Home is where your Chili Pip Lounge is. So go to Chili Pip, that's C H I L L I P I P dot com dot AU or telephone 1300 79 75 16. And there's a link up on our socials as well. Hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning on Chili Pip that you might want to also have a little look at. 13 12 69 the number. All right, Warren, are you there? Yes, good morning, Marcus. Happy New Year, if I haven't already said it. Yeah, I don't think we've spoken yet so far. It's a quarter past eight. What's on your mind, mate? Yeah, just a couple of things. First of all, about your so-called addiction, you say that you don't drink coffee. Did you know the amount of caffeine in those V-drinks is probably equal to three or four cups of coffee? Yeah, no doubt. No and, doubt. Um, I'll speak to an expert about it after the break, yeah, but yes. Like, 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 like yourself, I don't smoke or drink or take any illegal substances, and I'm diabetic, so I can't drink sugar drinks. So I'm aware of, of what's in the drinks. But what I rang about, you've put a post up about that uh, ABC flick put up by GetUp. Yeah. On Facebook. Yeah. You are aware of, of GetUp's uh, political leanings, aren't you? Well, I don't really care about their political leanings, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't care. Uh, what I yeah. do. What I do care about is the defunding of a public broadcaster, which shouldn't be happening. And I. I think it's being done by stealth. I. Bel- I uh, agree with the contents of that. Uh, well, of that video. Uh, mm-hmm. Look, it's up to everyone. I just. I put the information up there. I'm not telling people. I mean, I give my opinion. That's my job. But I'm not saying. You know that I'm a hundred percent right on this. I think mm. I'm pretty accurate, though. Let's be honest. I mean, mm. the ABC is being cut left, right, and centre. Oh, I love the ABC, Marcus. But mm. uh, uh, when people like Get Up start putting, you know, videos and films up, and I watch the film, so uh, I'm not going to make a comment out of out of thin air. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I just, you know, think we should all question where these things come from, that's all. Well, uh, yes. Well, I think we you've basically a, announced where it came from. It was funded by GetUp. Um, and let's be yeah. honest, a little like the federal government is funded by Murdoch. Welcome back to the program 131269 at 20 minutes after 8. Look, today the Rethink Sugary Drink Alliance is launching a counter campaign which aims to grab the attention of young blokes. Australia's largest sugar consumers, that's young Australian males. Why? Well, it's in order to shine light on the glorified ways that sugary drink companies depict their products and the health harms associated with drinking them. Craig Sinclair is Head of Prevention at Cancer Council Victoria and he's with us this morning on the program. Thank you for your time, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Marcus. It's my pleasure, mate. One in six teenagers down at least 5.2 kilos of added sugar from sugary drinks alone every year. It's, It's frightening, absolutely frightening. And you can see why when when you go into any sort of convenience store or service station, the the, the drink of default is your standard 600 mils, yeah. and that's containing up to 16 teaspoons of sugar in in every bottle. So when you got young and often you know young blokes or the young drinkers uh, are yeah. the mostly likely to drink. If they're downing them every day, you can see why before long they're they're drinking kilos of sugar over over the course of a year. They're addictive. I know firsthand. Well, it's it's that uh, combination of sweetness with caffeine, and they obviously the drink companies know that it works. They mm. know that uh, gets gets kids addictive, and that's why we're trying to counter that campaign. And obviously, we can't counter it with the sort of dollars they've got to throw at it, at young men. But we're doing our best to try and cut through their messaging to give young people at least a realisation of what they're actually drinking. What about those that say, well, you know, I have a, a V or a Red Bull or uh, whatever, Coke, uh, but they're sugarless. Are they really sugarless? Well, they are. It's the, the sort of like diet variants uh, are sugarless, but they obviously have artificial sweeteners in them. You don't get the same uh, energy or kilojoules associated with them. But what they do, and it's a bit like this sort of uh, e-cigarettes and cigarette debate, what they do is they keep you drinking. Um, They keep on drinking because of that caffeine and the taste. So, therefore, it's very easy to sort of traverse back into your full sugar drink uh, variety. So the drink companies know that there's good reason to push those diet drink varieties as well. Mm. All right. Why shouldn't we be consuming them? Why shouldn't we? Yes. Well, well, we certainly know, that, and we can see it with our waistlines. Um, I mean, two-thirds of the adult population are, are, are overweight or obese, and 25% of children. Yeah. And a key contributor, the, the, the biggest contributor to, um, to certainly sugar that is going into kids' diets is coming from these soft drinks. And we know there's a direct correlation between the energy in these soft drinks and weight gain. And with that weight gain comes a whole lot of complications. We all well know whether it's stroke, diabetes, kidney disease. Um, so we know that there's a whole range of health issues and many people just don't realise what they're actually drinking. And this is why we're having a campaign out this, this week. 
The problem is, uh, and a lot of blokes um, have been emailing us this morning, and I've got some notes on our Facebook page here. Tom says, we'll make the healthier alternative cheaper. 600 millimetres uh, bottle of water costs you three bucks, but a 1.25 drink will be $1.50. Same goes for food. It's expensive eating healthily. Well, the thing is that the drink companies know that there is real benefit in selling volume. Yes. And so those price incentives do make a difference. What, what we know has happened in the United Kingdom very successfully, and I think it's a great idea, is that they've actually added a levy on those fully laden sugar products. And what it did is it increased the price, but what it did is it made sugar drinkers actually the, the manufacturers um, make products that had less sugar in them, so they weren't paying as much tax. And it really shifted the dial in the reformulation of these sugar-sweetened beverages. So there needs to be some of those um, incentives given to soft drink manufacturers so that they start thinking about reducing the sugar content in their product. Well, that's it, absolutely, because that's what makes it so damn, uh, well, addictive. Where can we go uh, for some more detail on this, mate? Well, look up the Rethink Sugary Drink um, in your in your search engine and you'll come to a new campaign which we've uh, titled Full of Crap. Look, it's a cracker, I think. Uh, but aim for young men. Yep. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a bit confronting, but we, we know it will reach out. It's tested extraordinarily well with, with young men as a way of making them aware of what they're actually drinking. All right. And there's also the added issue, of course, of tooth decay uh, with uh, an overconsumption of these sugary energy drinks in particular. Uh, One in three males aged 15 to 34, that's 32.1% of untreated tooth decay. And uh, some dentists have linked it directly to an overconsumption of these sugary drinks. Yeah, and um, diet drinks are included in that. It, it's it's certainly the, the nature of those drinks, the, the acidic nature is what's causing the tooth decay. And in many respects, for young kids particularly, or teenagers, uh, tooth decay is a far bigger fear in terms of seeing their teeth rotten um, as compared to the issue of weight. So that yeah. is a very serious issue, and, uh, and it's often forgotten in this debate. All right, great to have you on the program. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. Okay, we've got a link up to that, by the way. Uh, The Rethink Sugary Drink Alliance and their counter-campaign. Just go to 2smsupernetwork.com and click on our show page. Hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. We're off to the news, and I think to get us there, a little bit of this. Somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. Smash Mouth, an all-star. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69. Why does that make me want to watch Shrek? News time now, 8.30. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. The Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney-Garland. Two to nine. Hey, Di. Hello. How are you? Well, thank you. How was your weekend? Very nice, thank you. What did you get up to? Oh, I went 10-pin bowling. 
Oh, wow. Plant 10 pin bowling. I'm really bad at it, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Oh, isn't it? Yeah, uh, do you, good fun. Uh, can I ask a, a question? Do you use the bumpers? I did use the bumpers. However, one of the, the la- it was a ladies' night out, and one of mm-hmm. the girls, she actually bowls in a league. Uh, and oh, I've never seen her bowl before. And, right. and you know, she, and it was somebody those. else's idea. And she was so good that she yeah. actually, she bowls and then she turns around and just walks away. Like, she in doesn't my, even look at it. No, no. And she's never bowled with bumpers for years and years and years. Yeah. But like for us, we're sitting there going, come on, come on, you've got to do it. I mean, I actually, me and one of the other ladies managed to get the ball between two pins on two occasions without hitting either of them, which is quite a feat, Absolutely. except for you're aiming to knock them down. Mm. So, uh, but. <laughs> No, it's good fun. It is fun, isn't it? it Ten is. pin bowling. And yeah. uh, look, the idea of the bumpers is so that everybody can have fun because it can be <laughs> quite quite awful when you think about it. Uh, you know, you're throwing it down the gutter. Absolutely. That's what I tend to do. Yep. yep, yep, yep. I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> Although, uh, by some luck or good fortune, probably it's just all uh, complete luck. I, I occasionally get a strike. Yeah, I got a couple of strikes. You got a but, couple? But that was, that was good. But, you know, nowhere yeah. near the um, the other lady that bowls, not professionally, but in a league, you mm. know. It's good fun, though. All right. Uh, students are being, uh, well, not being penalised for spelling errors in the HSC English exam. <gasps> That really surprises and shocks me. Under the current HSC syllabus, the New South Wales Education Standards Authority accepts poor spelling, grammar and punctuation in exams. Yep. No. I don't accept it in the newsroom. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I'm just one of those people that can't deal with spelling errors and punctuation mistakes, things like that. Yep. All right. What about uh, this other story about the, the Great Mice Plague? Uh, we've got one going on at the moment, unfortunately, mm. in the central west of New South Wales. Uh, these little things are breeding like, well, mice. Uh, yeah. Can you believe that a couple of mice... During spring or summer, if if the mood's right, darling, <laughs> they can create five little mises. Oh my god! Between them, wow! Yeah. So you've been involved uh, in a, a little bit of a mice plague situation previously. What's yeah, the story? Yeah, well, when here? I was in Year Twelve, we went for for a school camp yeah. to the Warren Bungles, beautiful spot. Yeah, and there was a mice plague, a plague of mice, Ooh, and boy, we oh ended boy. up with. Uh, uh, they were in our tents, and they mm. were on the bus, and they yeah. were they, well. They were in our tents, and then we ended up. A few of us slept in the supply tent. Then they were in there, and at one point they put <laughs> all on, of when the. When you say they were in there, you what, you could see them and feel you could, them. They were running around. around they were running around the edges of a tent, and oh. so then no one's getting much sleep oh. because this is happening. I mean, the boys were so much tougher, but we were like, no. Anyway, we ended up. Um, sleep. A few of us slept on the bus a couple of nights, yeah. and then, then when we were driving homes, what they had to do was they kept all of the food in the boot of the bus, yep. so that the mice didn't get to it. Mm. Um, then we were driving back. A couple of mice ran down the oh, aisle of the no. bus, and we were like, "Oh!" But it was it was uh, interesting. So to see the barbecue through the day and then of a night time it would be literally the whole barbecue plate would be covered in hundreds and hundreds of mice no, and no, just no, that's enough. Mm, really mm, yeah very oh, not okay. not very nice but i mean you know we were only there for a week or so and you think about the poor old farmers and people well, living it. there that's and it. this 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 is their homes you know mm. not tents but running I, around their homes well they say the current plague of, of uh, mice the infestation 
in the central west of New South Wales is at the same proportion as what you're talking mm. about a decade or so ago. It's a worry. It really is, considering yeah. it could cost, um, you know, farmers... You know, literally, um, some of their livelihood. They, yeah, they can absolutely. lose up to, yeah. um, what, hundreds of kilos mm-hmm. of a crop, uh, particularly if it's tilled, yeah. um, over uh, over a period. Terrifying. Uh, you know, during the, the harvesting period. Yeah, for a long time after that camp, if I heard a rustle in the middle of the night. Oh, no. Well, it was about, but it wasn't. It was just that, you know, you'd hear that and think, yeah. oh. <laughs> What's the old saying? I hate mises to pieces. pieces. Yep, Remember that? That's the one. Yeah. Yep. Well, farmers would definitely be saying that. Oh, I reckon. Okay, Di, thank, thank you. Thank you. We'll hear Diane during the news. Of course, reading for the great John Laws at Lawsy's Inn. He'll be back after nine o'clock this morning. Yeah, I got a note here from Matt. Marcus, on the day the Deputy Premier of New South Wales faces a pork-barrelling inquiry looking into the mismanagement of nearly half a billion dollars, <laughs> comes a little gem in the Murdoch press. John Barillaro's face masks double as pocket squares. There's been no whinging, apparently, from Nationals leader John Barillaro. No, certainly not about having to wear face masks. In fact, the Deputy Premier has turned them into a fashion statement. Well, at least he'll look good today, I guess says my emailer when it comes to making excuses for the Stronger Communities grant scheme and the bushfire funding that was all pork-barrelled and funnelled into, well, you guessed it, LNP seats. It's a really good email. We might share it. It's a nice photo of us. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Unfortunately, no Christina in the capital today. She's unwell. Uh, Let's hope she gets better and we can get her back on the program tomorrow. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. The NRL's chief gender advisor has called for cultural understanding and not a suspension for young Brisbane Broncos test prop Payne Haas. Why are you looking at me like that? Because you're a woman, you think I won't touch you. To a female police officer, the bloke is a grub. Catherine, I'm sorry. What if it was you that all of these these awful comments were directed at? They may respond different to police authority than someone from an Anglo background. What a load of tripe. Stop making excuses for these scrubs and rub this bloke out of the game. Marcus Paul in the morning. I didn't have a mobile phone at school. I'm a dinosaur. We didn't bother with any of that technology. We didn't. It wasn't available. We did silly things like talk to each other around recess and throw the football around or try and chat up girls. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, not too far away from the John Laws Morning Show for Sydney today, 25 degrees, maybe a shower or two for my 2SM listeners uh, for the Central Coast. Central Coast? Yeah, you'll get a shower as well. Central Tablelands for today, partly cloudy for Bathurst and Orange. Slight chance of a shower in the east, most likely uh, clearing by lunchtime. 24 today for Bathurst and Orange. And for the Mid-North Coast today, partly cloudy, maybe a bit of fog around, but that'll clear off, no doubt. And tops of 26 degrees with the slight chance of a shower, mainly around the highlands, around uh, the mid-north coast of New South Wales today. Marcus Paul in the morning. 13 12 69 is my telephone number.
Yeah, Zara Larson. And Symphony, Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, 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 that's just about it for us today. Thank you very much for your company. We'll catch you tomorrow on the program tomorrow. Don't worry about it, Scruffy. It's all good. We didn't make the closer. That's okay. Lloyd Polkinghorn. Remember Lloyd? He does Lloyd's Walk for Water. Uh, with Murray Darling in mind, he'll join us to start after 7 o'clock tomorrow. He's on a new campaign. Pauline Hanson, Andrew Lee, they're back tomorrow as well. John Laws is next.